All right. Well, good afternoon. Uh, welcome to the Well. If you're a guest with us, my name is Al. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here. I know a lot of people are out Thanksgiving, holidays, sickness going around. Uh, man, just be be praying for folks. This is a hard time of year. Uh, oftentimes, uh, especially in San Antonio, now that it's gotten cold, it's been weird. It's like cloudy, gloomy, depressing. Those of you from the Pacific Northwest, you're used to this. We are not. We need the sun. And so just be praying for folks. Uh, and also, uh, just, just as you enter into the Thanksgiving season and then the, the Christmas season and then the New Year, it's about one man. His name's Jesus, and that's who we're here to worship. And so if you need a Bible, uh, go ahead and raise your hands, and one of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. We are uh, in Malachi chapter 4 today. We're doing a standalone sermon, and I think I bit off more than I could chew back when I I uh, submitted this a while back uh, for uh, what this this Sunday would be in the year. Um, I just, I guess, thought a whole, you know, six verses would be quick and easy and uh, painless. But uh, um, I knew what I was getting into. But here we go. Uh, the great day of the Lord. And so what this is, the goal of this sermon series, uh, this sermon today is to prepare us for, for next week. Uh, we're entering into uh, the Christmas season. Next week we'll begin a new sermon series called The King of Kings, looking at Jesus being the king from uh, before, he, before he was even born, prophesied that he would be the king to his, his birth, his life, and then uh, just the promise that his kingdom will, will never end and he will reign forever as he's reigning now. And so that's where we're headed. Uh, and so this this sermon right here, this is the last chapter of the Old Testament. Last chapter of the Old Testament. What's going to happen is after these words uh, God, from the prophet Malachi, God's people will experience 400 years of silence before God speaks again. And, it's, and, it's, and, we're, going to talk, and we're going to talk about today through how is he going to speak? How will we know that he's about to speak again? He's going to mention it today. And we're, going to, we're going to see, but these are the last words of the Old Testament of preparing God's people for the first coming of Jesus Christ. And so Christmas, during the Christmas season, what we do is we, we look back at the, the first coming of Jesus. We also anticipate his, his second coming, his return. Um, Malachi here, what he's going to do is he's going to talk about the coming day of the Lord, uh, the, the, the first coming of Jesus, but also there's implications of the second coming of Jesus as well. And so um, this is, is supposed to, it's like a placeholder, but also a, 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 a vision map and an encouragement and a, and, a, and a slot to prepare our hearts for this upcoming Christmas season. And so what he says here, the great day of the Lord, Malachi verse four, or chapter four, verse one, it says, Behold, listen up, that's what he's saying. The day of the Lord is coming, burning like an oven. Have you ever put your face close to an oven when it's hot and fire? It's, it's pretty hot. Uh, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming. The, the, the day is coming. Shall be set a, he will set them ablaze says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness, S-U-N, of righteousness shall, shine, shall, shall rise with healing on its wings. And you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet, on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So this is a lot to, to get to right here. And we're going to finish the chapter uh, in, in the other three verses. But let's look at the first three verses. First, we're talking about a fire. And this is the refiner's fire. 
This is, there, there's the two types of fire mentioned here. There's the sun, uh, which is uh, going to heal and give light and give uh, warmth. But also the, the oven, uh, which is to uh, melt down or to create uh, a flame in, in which it makes the evildoer stubble. Not stumble, stubble. And so we'll get to that. What does that mean? But I want you to see that there's a, there's a fire of devastation and there's a fire of purification. The fire, uh, fire is, is a great tool. It's a great thing. It is, it is hot, it is, it, but it can, it can light a, it can keep a house warm like right now. It can also help you cook some good barbecue. Uh, it can, but the fire matters where it's placed. If the fire is in the oven and the fire is in uh, the, uh, the grill, uh, that's good. If the fire is in the living room, it can be devastating, devastating. And so he, God is talking about two different types of fire. Well, one fire uh, producing multiple results. One, a fire of devastation and one, a fire of purification. And so the fire, this is the, the, the purification is the refiner's fire. I want you to know this, that God wants to melt down like uh, all the things that, that are impure in your own heart and your mind and your life. He wants to remove them. He wants to purify you. And so what a, the refiner's fire, what, a, what that would be like is, is one who is working with metal such as like gold or silver. If they wanted to, to purify the, the gold, it would be melted down. God wants to purify his people. So before Jesus comes, God is telling Malachi uh, this, this timely word of preparation 400 years before Jesus comes. And then there's going to be silence after, which means it's very important that they listen closely because they're not going to get another prophet. Right? So 400 years. So you have one guy uh, and his family, and they're supposed to then take it to their kids and grandkids and, and great-grandkids. And it's going to keep going for 400 years. So if, the, if those who are hearing this message close their ears, harden their hearts, rebel against it, then those 400 years later when Jesus comes will not be able to respond properly to the coming of Christ. They will reject him. Guess what happens? They reject him. Many don't heed the warning of Malachi. His warning is, is to, to, uh, to God's people to turn from their evil ways, to be repentant people, to, to walk through the fire of purification. He talks to the first group of people, and this group of people, will, it will be devastating, this fire. He's talking about the proud, the arrogant, the rebellious evildoers. That's what he's talking about. The evildoers will become stubble. They're arrogant. That's what he says. The day is coming, I need you to hear this, the day is coming where God's patience will run out. God is very patient. He is a patient God. We're told through the Old Testament that his kindness was meant to lead us to repentance. And so Malachi's ministry is to tell the people God's kindness has an has a, has a expiration date. He's going to, he's kind, he's merciful, he's gentle, he's kind, but there's a day coming and it's burning like an oven. So go get near your fire, feel that, where, where, where there's a devastating type of play that is going to play out on humanity and among God's people if they don't turn from their wicked ways. And so for those who, who don't love Jesus, I need you to see this. The, those who don't love Jesus or don't worship the God of the Bible, when Jesus showed up for the first time, those who don't worship the God of the Bible, Jesus' coming was a devastating thing for them. 
For the Pharisees who did not worship Jesus with their whole heart and their whole mind and their whole strength, the religious elite of the day, when they, they did not worship the God of the Bible, they claimed to but denied him with their entire life. Their hearts were far from them. Jesus said that they were whitewashed tombs of decaying flesh. So on the outside they looked all pretty and pristine, but inwardly they were, they were rebelling against God. He says for those, for those and, and anyone else who would rebel against the God of the Bible, the coming of Christ is a devastating reality. It's devastating. It, it, it ruined everything for the Pharisees and the false religion they constructed. I need you to know this too. For those of you who, who reject Jesus in the present, Christ's second coming will be devastating for you. It will be devastating for you. There's a day where God's patience will cease. And so he describes that those who don't love the second coming of Christ, uh, or like those who didn't love the first coming of Christ, that they will be devastate, there will be a devastating fire that leaves them neither root nor branch. It's devastation. These are the folks who, who hear God's word and harden their hearts. These are those who, who read God's word and resist obedience. These are those who continue to rebel against God. They deny God. They even say, oh, well, if you're going to come like a fire, then I'm going to reject you because I don't even like a God who would do that. So Malachi is, is, is talking to a people, writing to a people who, quote, claim, and with their mission statement in their mind, in their heart, if they were to ask them, do you, do you love God? Are you a religious man? Are you, do, do you believe in God? They say, yeah, we do. We believe in Yahweh, one God, only one God. We believe in him, one God. We reject all other gods, one God, Yahweh. We believe in him. But if you read back through Malachi, every chapter is just, they're, they're a mess. Their marriages are a mess. The men are mistreating their wives. They're getting divorces. They're not giving. The leaders are not tithing. God tells them that they're, he, he, one, tells them he hates divorce. He also tells them that they're robbing him. They're not stewarding God's possessions. They're not serving the church. They're complaining. They're cowards. This is all that's been building up through the entire book of Malachi to this point. The, 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 the church even questioned if God loved them. They said, God, we look at you, we look at, you claim to love us, and God, you say that this is how you love us. Well, we reject that. This is like the person today who sees the cross of Christ and hears the message of the gospel through the, through the, the, the Bible, through the preaching of God's word, and says, well, I just don't like that definition of love. I reject it. God, you don't love me because I don't like your view of love. We want to redefine a lot of things in our world. You can't redefine God. You can try, but the day is coming, and it's burning like an oven, where all those who are arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. See, you will either have faith, you will, you will worship Jesus. I need you to see, all of you will worship Jesus. The question is, will you do it by faith or by force? Not by force of the government, not by force of, of other humans, but by God himself. He says that there's one day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We do that by faith now or will we do it by captives subdued and, and put to stubble in the future? That's what he says. And, he, and this is a warning. This isn't like a, uh, I, I'm mad at you. This is like I'm trying to warn you. I'm, I'm trying to tell you the reality of what is coming so that you can be prepared 
for, you can be prepared for the coming Messiah. More than that, you can prepare the generations that follow you, the 400 years of generations that follow you, so that when he shows up, they're ready. And I don't want to just prepare you for the coming of Christ, the second coming of, of our Lord Jesus, but I want to prepare you to, to prepare uh, nations in, in legacy, in, in your lineage, in your future. Just all those who would come after you would be prepared for the day, the return, the coming of our Lord, the second coming of our Lord. And so this first coming of, of, of Jesus is, 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 is God is telling his people through Malachi, he's preparing them, and he's preparing them to repent, to get ready for the Messiah is coming. And so you, he has a stern warning for those who are proud, arrogant, and rebellious uh, and evildoers here. But then he also has, a, he has an encouragement for those who fear or worship the Lord. This is the encouragement. He says, for those who worship the Lord or fear the Lord, in verse 2 it says, uh, those who fear my name, it will be like the sun rising and with healing on its wings. So Jesus' first coming is like this image of God's glory shining forth like the sun, which is another fire, by the way. Another fire that in its proper place gives blessing, light to all humanity, gives warmth to the earth. Have you ever been on a, a cold day and you've just, then the sun has come out and you've been outside and, man, this is awesome. My hands can, can thaw out. This is great. This is a glorious day. He says that the coming of Christ will be like that. The sun peeking through the clouds, warming, healing, blessing, giving life. And so he, he says that for those, it's not just for everybody, it's for those who fear or worship the Lord. See, if you, if you reject Jesus, the, the coming of Jesus, the return of Christ is a scary thing. It's a devastating thing. But for the return of Christ, for those who worship him, man, it's a glorious day. It says that they're going to leap like calves Jumping out from their stalls. Have you seen that? It's kind of crazy. Go YouTube that later. A cow, a calf jumping. It's cute. It's awesome. I would have done a video, but didn't want to. But uh, that it's just awesome. Some of you have pets. I we recently uh, have have a new puppy, uh, and so when when we get home, man, he is like loud leaping off the ground. You're like, what is going on? This dude's jumping so high. He really loves Jessica more than me. So just like most people, but. Uh, it's okay. Uh, and so he's so excited to see us. He's so excited. This is how it should be. This is what Malachi is saying for those who've been waiting on the Lord, who've been trusting in the Lord, who long to see the Lord Jesus, the Messiah coming. When his first coming, when he came the first time, it should have been a party. You should have got really excited. You should have got really pumped. And they should have been like calves jumping around or dogs, you know, excited to see their owner. That's what it should have been like. But Christ did come. And they rejected him. They didn't rejoice in his coming. They murdered him. And we were told through the scriptures that that was for the purpose of, of redemption, for the purpose of salvation for us, all those who would believe in him. That Jesus Christ was rejected on our behalf. He was crucified, killed for our sin, our shame, our past, our present, future sin. Jesus paid the penalty for that so that when we put faith, I put our faith in Jesus that we can have salvation, we can have hope, we can have healing, healing from our eternal sickness, namely sin, healing from our rebellion against God, new life, forgiveness, hope, redemption, salvation, so that when Jesus comes a second time, because he is coming, we, we marvel. Jesus tells us actually after he, he in, his, in the Gospels that when he comes a second time, the people of God will marvel. We will marvel. We will do this. We will leap like calves. 
We will jump like dogs. We will rejoice like our team has won the championship. That's what's going to happen for those who worship or who fear God, who fear the Lord. For those who don't fear the Lord, it's devastation. For those who fear the Lord, it's rejoicing. And that day is coming. The day is coming. Maybe it is in, in you know, our lifetime. Maybe it's not. Who cares? Who cares when it is? So many people get wrapped up in when is the day coming? Are we going to be ready? Here's how you're ready. Worship Jesus now. If you don't worship him now, you're not going to worship him then. People literally get into arguments and have charts about when he's coming back, and they're really, really, really passionate about it. If you're not worshiping Jesus now, who cares? Guess who also probably had charts after Malachi? The, the religious leaders who rejected Jesus. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Worship Jesus now. Rejoice in salvation now. Rejoice in the first coming of Christ now. We get the whole season dedicated. I call it Jesus' birthday month. We're going to start in, at the end of November next week. And so we're going to get a birthday month plus some because at our house we do birthday weeks. Jesus gets birthday month. And so we're getting a little bit more and we're going to celebrate his first coming, his first birth. Jesus coming, his birthday month. And we get a whole, whole season in the church to look at his first coming. To rejoice in his first coming. I want this to be seared in your mind of, of, of excitement and joy that God's people were to have at the first coming of Christ that didn't, that we can now have because we have our sins forgiven. We have Christ's righteousness applied to us. Therefore, the Son of righteousness can come upon us and heal us. As light shines into the darkness, we're told, Jesus is the light that dawns on the dark and sinful world. To offer life, hope, and salvation. Jesus, just like the sun rises uh, here and, and provides righteous healing on God's people in their land. Here in, this, in verse 2, Jesus also rose victorious after being brutally murdered, crucified, punished in our place for our sins. So that we could have his righteousness applied to our account. Jesus is not dead but alive. Those who put their faith in him have his righteousness seared into their soul. They've been refined, purified, cleansed, forgiven. What more do you need to rejoice? We should be throwing this Christmas every day, rejoicing every day, party every day. Because salvation has come and we have believed. Do you believe that? I pray that this would be us during the, the holiday season. The, 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 and some of you are like, well, you call it holiday season. That's not Christmas. Literally, the word means holy day. So if I'm going to use holiday a lot, you need to understand it's a holy day. And we're going to celebrate a lot. And so this is why I love, side note, those who, you know, oh, we're not going to say Christmas. We're going to throw a holiday party. Awesome. Holy day party. Praise God, you pagans. We're going to worship you, Jesus there too. So I just love it. It doesn't matter how you cut it. Jesus is going to be worshipped. It's the pie that we all get to eat. And some of us enjoy it and enjoy it like, like, like the, the righteous, those who fear and worship the Lord. Some of us hate it like the proud and arrogant evildoers. But Jesus will not be mocked. He will be glorified. He will be worshipped. And I pray that that excites you. That excites you. Now, verse 3. It says that you shall tread down the wicked. This is us. This is the church. The coming of Christ has brought the king's mission to the king's people. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Some of you are like, oh no, where is this guy going? Where is this guy going? 
Well, Psalm, it's not going to be on the screens because uh, I had too many verses to put up. But Psalm 110, verse 1, you should look it up. It says this, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Where is Jesus right now? He's ascended and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Right now Jesus is at the right hand of, of the Father. He's going to sit there until his enemies have become his footstool. Till his enemies have been subdued. Till his enemies have been overcome. Now, this is not through military force. This is through faith. This is through the power of the gospel. Jesus subdues those who've made themselves enemies through the power of the gospel. He subdues them. He subdues them. And, and he uses us to share that news. And so what, what this is, is it also goes back to the promise that God gave Adam and Eve that through the seed of the woman that Jesus would come and crush the serpent's head. And so God is going to use us. So Jesus has given a lethal blow to the, 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 the serpent Satan through the, through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Now the church gets to keep stepping on the head of the serpent. Uh, uh, keeps stepping on the head of the serpent Satan. This is, until Jesus comes back, this is what we're doing. We're smashing the heads of the snake. We're crushing his head. I, I used to run, believe it or not, I would run distances, uh, and I was a different body type, but every time I would pass a dead snake, I would step on it again. I hate snakes. I want to make sure the sucker's dead, but I would do it, and I remember this. I remember this, that Jesus has not only crushed the serpent Satan's head, but he uses his people to continue to march victoriously, to tread down the wicked, as the text says, for they will become ashes under the soles of your feet. We are, we are doing, we are not following Adam and being scared of the serpent, Satan, and, and cowering in fear and listening, obeying his lies and deceit and his false teachings and rebelling against the God of the Bible who loves us, but rather by the power of the gospel through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are, we are walking in the example of Jesus and denying the serpent, denying the flesh, denying sin, and trusting in Jesus us continually and when we do that we're continually treading out the wicked that exists in our own hearts but also in the through the proclamation of the gospel we give others an opportunity to do the exact same through the power of the gospel the idols in your heart the things that you love and worship more than Jesus become ashes see the thing is the, the beautiful thing about the gospel is that through the gospel the wicked the stubborn the unbelieving hearts that's all humanity those that we're all that we're all the wicked we're all unbelieving we're all stubborn we're all hard-hearted we're all this is all of us rebellious all of us have gone astray there's none good no not one Romans 3 says and so what God has done through the gospel of Jesus is take enemies and made him his friend so here, the, the wicked, we read this, and I don't want you to see that, that this is some military force just wiping out non-Christians. What this is, is the power of the gospel changing the hearts of wicked non-Christians, bringing them into the kingdom of light, being transformed by the power of Jesus. Their hard hearts, their unbelieving hearts start beating again. They, they become alive. They get healed. They have new hope. They have redemption. They have salvation. And the old self, the flesh and its desires, the soul that, that loved sin, that rebelled against the God of the Bible, 
becomes ash. And so through the gospel, wicked, stubborn, unbelieving people are made to be ashes at the soul level. So that out of the ash heap would rise a great, glorious salvation, a new heart, a love for Jesus, a genuine desire to obey him. That's the gospel. That's what happens when Jesus shows up. And some of you, are that, that's your story. You met Jesus, you had a hard heart, and he saved you. Some of you are still there. You have a hard heart, and Jesus needs to cleanse you and save you. You need to let go of whatever you're following, whatever you're obeying, whatever you're trusting in that's not him, and put your faith in him. So those are the two camps, the two people. There's the, those who will be devastated by the fire, those who will be purified by the fire. Either way, the light has come. Jesus has come. Now, what happens uh, before that day? Malachi will tell us, verse 4 and 5. He tells us what happens before that great day of the Lord. What happens? How will we know? How can we get ready? What, what do we need to do? How do we prepare? He says, before the great day of the Lord, remember. He says, remember, the law of, of my servant Moses, the statutes, the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day, before that great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Before that day comes, I'm sending you this guy Elijah, but before that, he's letting us know you should already be ready. Verse 4 Remember the whole law, the law of Moses, the statutes, the rules I've given you? If you would obey that God and worship that God, the God of the Bible, the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if you would just worship him, you'd be ready. See, this is the problem. The problem is always a worship problem. The problem is who do you worship? Some of you think it's about rules. Some of you think it's about what to do, what not to do. It's about worshiping Jesus. If you worship Jesus, you will then obey him. Because as Romans tells us that, that we are enslaved to who we, wor- to, to who we obey. You will either obey Jesus and be a slave to him and a slave to righteousness, or you will obey sin in the flesh and be enslaved to your own desires. It's about worshiping. So who do you worship? Who you worship will change everything. Who do you worship? And so he says they should be worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, through the the, the giving of the law that God gave his people on the mountain in Horeb. He gave it to Israel. Well, what happened to those people? They started worshiping God. Then what did they start doing? They started complaining. They started criticizing God. They started saying God had not their best intentions in mind. That he rescued them out of Egyptian slavery and that he messed up somehow. That they would rather go back to slavery because it was safe and familiar to them than to be with God, be his people, and worship him alone. So what they did was they're like, you know what, we should, make, we should re- reinvent the idol wheel. They made a golden calf and worshipped it. And guess what God did? His fire came, melted the golden calf, and he gave it to them to drink it. Why? So that they could taste the poison, the, the, the grotesque nature of sin and rebellion against God. You made an idol? Let me, I'm going to help you drink your idol so that you see how awful it is so that you won't ever do it again. Won't ever do it again. God loves his people and he wants them to, to obey his commands. Why? Because his commands are for their flourishing. God did not give the law to, to Israel until he had rescued them out of Egyptian slavery. He didn't give it to them to earn the right standing. 
God's rules and ways are not for you to earn God's love. The only people who get to joyfully do God's word, will, and ways are those who are his children through adoption. That's like a kid who gets adopted into a family. He gets a new family, he gets a new last name, and he gets new rules. He gets the rules of the the household. But for you and I, those who trust Jesus, we get the rules of the kingdom. We're the king's kids now. We have the king's rules. We have the king's life. We have the king's stamp. We have the king's spirit in us. And so God's people in this day were, were, were rebelling against God. They were breaking his commands in law. And so God is telling him, hey, turn around, come back. And before that great day of the Lord is coming, I'm going to send a guy named Elijah, the prophet, and he will come before you, and that's how you'll know that the dawn of this kingdom has come. And so this guy, uh, Elijah, he was a fearless, often offensive guy. He was a prophet. He would boldly preach. He called down fire from heaven. He trained up a guy, Elisha, to take his place. Here's the fun fact about Elijah. He didn't die. He didn't die. He got an Uber and came to pick him up from heaven. It was a chariot of fire and just took him straight up to heaven. Literally, that's how, that's how it was. He was preaching one day, and then he was running one day, and then he got caught up in a chariot, boom, in heaven. Didn't die. Didn't die. He and Enoch didn't die. Now, so God's people are going, okay, so Elijah's coming back. What is that going to look like? This man, Elijah, he's coming back. Malachi said it, and this is where it can get confusing. So give me, give me a minute. Elijah, behold, verse 5, Malachi 4, 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Before the day comes, 400 years from now, there's a guy coming. I need you to get ready, church. And, and then guess who shows up? This guy named John the Baptist. Not the same name as Elijah, but maybe. Let's see. He, John the Baptist shows up. And in Matthew eleven thirteen and 14, it says this. It says, For all the prophets and law prophesied until John. So there was the whole law and the, and the first five books of the Bible, the, the, the law and the prophet, and then the rest of the Old Testament, uh, all that until John. 400 years after Malachi 5, or 4, 5, John the Baptist shows up. He shows up. And if you are, and this is what he said. Jesus says, Jesus is saying that, that this man, uh, the, the prophets uh, in law uh, were prophesied until John. If you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who has come. John the Baptist is Elijah who has come. This is what Jesus is telling us, that, that Jesus is saying that John the Baptist is Elijah. All right, let's keep going. John 1, verse 19 through 20, uh, through 21 says this. Now this is the testimony of John, meaning John the Baptist, the one who's, who we're talking about maybe being Elijah. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So now they've probably read Malachi. They have a lot of questions. So they show up to John the Baptist. Like, I think this is the guy. I think this is the guy. So they ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So I'm not Jesus, I'm not the Messiah. And they asked him, well then, what then? Are you Elijah? And then what did he say? I am not. (laughs) Are you a prophet? He said, no. It's confusing, right? Jesus says he's Elijah in Matthew. And then John, in in the Gospel of John, says, nope, I'm not Elijah. Well, Luke, the great physician, gives us some clarity here. Luke 1, chapter 15, or verse 1, verses 15 through 17 says this. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's talking about John the Baptist, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn, turn many uh, of, of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient 
This is exactly what we're talking about in our text. The disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people for the Lord, a prepared people. So this is what's, this is what's happening. The Spirit of God is going to empower a man named John the Baptist. And he's going to become with the same type of energy, the same type of zeal, same type of spirit as, as Elijah. Just like Elijah was a bold preacher who preached repentance, so John the Baptist was going to come and preach repentance. And this was going to mark for God's people, how are we going to know when the, this awesome day of the Lord is coming, this man shows up preaching repentance. And John the Baptist shows up preaching repentance in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's what our text is telling us. Get ready for John the Baptist is what it's saying. I know it sometimes can be confusing. We use the Bible to interpret it, it, to, to interpret everything, especially itself. And so where Matthew, John, and Luke, when you put them all together, you see that this is the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, that John the Baptist shows up. And he shows up and he's going to preach repentance. Why? There's no salvation without repentance. There will be no continuing of Christianity as we prepare for the second coming of Christ without repentance. Without repentance. There's no salvation without repentance. So we must continue to move in the same spirit and power of Elijah to herald the gospel of Jesus, repentance to a hurting and dying world before the, the, coming, the second coming of Christ. See, John the Baptist was preparing God's people for uh, Jesus' first coming. We are preparing the world for Christ's return. In the meantime, we're, we're explaining that he has come and his kingdom has been established. And it's spreading through the hearts of people. And you can become part of the king's family through faith in Jesus. But it takes repentance. It takes repentance. See, our world, we believe in tolerance, not repentance. We tolerate, tolerate, tolerate. God does not tolerate sin, but he, he purifies it like gold would be refined, or he mows over it and destroys it through a devastating fire. And so repentance is at the heart of the gospel. Many will say that repentance is just something that they use in the Old Testament. But I want to show you this. That John the Baptist indeed shows up, Matthew 3, uh, verse 1 through 3, John the Baptist shows up and he preaches repentance. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. He said this, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This should trigger all the Old Testament folks to go, boom, Malachi, it's happened, it's happening. We should pay attention to this guy. Who is he pointing to? For this is who... For this is, this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. And when he said, there's going to be one coming, the voice crying out of the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. This is right out of quoting the Old Testament. John the Baptist shows up. He fulfills this. He fulfills this. Well, what about Jesus? Someone say, well, again, well, you're just telling, talking about John the Baptist. He was a fire and brimstone guy. But Jesus, surely Jesus wasn't. Jesus wasn't a fire and brimstone guy. What does Jesus say? Well, Jesus preaches repentance too. John the Baptist's first sermon, repentance. Jesus' first sermon, Matthew 4, 17, says this. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You're like, okay, well, Jesus was preaching repentance until 
Israel repented and, you know, but what, we're, in the new, we're in the New Testament. The kingdom has come. We're in the New Testament. We're about tolerance and diversity. We don't, we don't believe in repentance anymore. We, 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 God just tolerates us, loves us. He's unconditional. He's no longer burning like an oven. There's no, there's no need for us to talk about the wrath of God. We don't need any of that. Well, Jesus dies. He raises from the dead. And then he gives his spirit to a preacher. First, first church begins this way. Acts chapter 2. So this is after Christ has ascended. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent. There's a theme throughout the entire Bible. Repent, repent, repent. Repent to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you don't repent of your sins, you don't, re- you don't receive salvation and forgiveness of your sins from Jesus, and you don't receive the Holy Spirit. You need repentance. 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 Repentance literally means stop and turn around. It's, it's literally God is telling his people the, where you're headed is for destruction. I'm burning hot like an oven, and that's where you're headed. You're headed to the oven to be cooked. Re- stop, turn around, and come back to me, your first love. Come back to my mercy. Come back to my grace. Come back to my kingdom. It's like a child running out in the middle of the road, and you're yelling him to stop, to come back to, to, to their parents. Come back to safety. Come back into the warm home. Come back. Turn around. We have these dumb signs, and they're not dumb because they help, but, you know, the turnaround, don't drown. They're dumb, and it's in it, the way, it, you know, they're trying to be so catchy. But here's the deal. You see the sign, turn around, don't drown. How many people drive right into the water when it's, there's flash floods in San Antonio, and you're like, oh, no, they're, they're stuck on the side of the road, or when there's ice in San Antonio because we don't know what to do with that, and you're like, don't get on the highways, and it's like, woo, this guy flies off the edge. You're like, well, you, you should have listened to the sign, to the warning, stop. Turn around. That's called repentance. We feel bad for the guy who, 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 who you know, didn't obey the, the, the sign to turn around. And he's like, yeah, it's devastating. It's sad. It's awful. It, it, it's heartbreaking. It's going to be more heartbreaking for those you know and love who won't repent, won't stop, won't turn around when they enter into the oven and are turned to stubble. That's a real day. We're not saying turn around and earn God's love. We're not saying repent to earn God's favor. We're not saying you have to do anything to earn God's mercy and grace. We're just saying turn around. Come back to Jesus. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his righteousness. You're not enough. You're not good enough. Stop trying. You are not good enough. Despite what America will tell you, you are not good enough. Yet, yet, Jesus, who is without sin, and though your sins be many, came after you. Because you weren't good enough. You weren't good enough to to atone for your own sin. You weren't good enough to pay the penalty for sin. You weren't, you you cannot out-sin the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus. This is the gospel. Turn around because you can't do what, you can't accomplish what you think you can. You can't provide a a, a salvation for yourself. No matter how good whatever you're doing feels, how much you hate authority, and how much you don't, you love rebellion and you don't like discipline. It doesn't matter. Turn around. 
Turn around and embrace the never-ending love, mighty love, power of God. You cannot sin the mercy and grace of Jesus, but you can waste your life. You can waste the mercy and grace of Jesus. You can spend your entire life rebelling in that day, the great day of the Lord comes and Christ returns a second time where you die and go to see him and you do not put your faith in him. It'd be a devastating day. Just like someone headed off the cliff, headed off the road, headed down the, 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 the path that says danger, don't go. Malachi's waving the flag saying there's danger, it's coming, repent. Jesus proclaiming repentance, Peter proclaiming repentance. And every church that wants to exist for, 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 to have a legacy, a gospel legacy for till Jesus Christ returns must also preach repentance. The church that does not preach repentance is not a church. Not a church. Christians who don't practice repentance are not Christians. Like, well, I don't care what you identify as. I don't care what they say they are. I don't care their 501c3 status. If you don't repent, you're not a Christian. Because if, if so, let's take the logic of our day. Logic of our day is, you know, if you know, whatever... The leader, you know, they say it's kind of, you know, their life, their choice. Well, Jesus had a life and he had a choice too. And guess what he said? Repent. John the Baptist said repent. Peter said repent. If you edit that message, you've edited Jesus' message and you're no longer on team Jesus. It's just the reality. And that's offensive in our world today. It was offensive when, when, when John the Baptist said it. Guess what happened? They killed him. The government chopped off his head because he called the, 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 the leaders in power, the governing authority in Rome, to repent. To repent. And so the first message of the coming of Christ required God's people to prepare their hearts through repentance. The second of coming of Christ requires his people to be the people of repentance. Stop running the direction you're going. Turn around. Run back to Jesus. So, because of Christ's love for you, because of the great mercy and grace in which he has had on you, because there's more mercy and grace in Jesus than sin in you, what this looks like practically. When you're, when you're plagued by anxiety, plagued by anxiety and fear, in that moment, you're, you're, you're aware of your fear. That is an invitation to turn around, repent, and turn to Jesus. When you are needing God to provide something, maybe it's financially, maybe it's emotionally, maybe it, whatever it is, whatever you need God to do in that moment, see it as an invitation to turn, stop, turn around, and run to Jesus. Tragedy hits your life and you feel like you're in despair and, and everything just feels like it's crumbling around you. You have an opportunity to continue on the path, figuring it out yourself, rebelling against the God of the Bible, or you can stop turn around and see the devastation that's happening around you as an invitation to come to Jesus. See, all of life, Luther said, is one of repentance. And I'll say it this way. All of life is an invitation to Jesus. Even the moment when you're aware of your sin. You're aware of your, man, I've, I've, I've rebelled against God. I've, I've done things that I regret. I feel so foolish. When you're aware of your sin, invitation to come back to Jesus. See, if Jesus really died for your past, present, and your future sins, that means that when you become aware of your future sin, he's already paid the penalty for it. 
You can continue in rebelling against him, or you can turn around and come to him and receive the forgiveness that he already has. See, here's the thing about forgiveness. It can be given and not received. You can forgive someone, and they cannot receive it. You can send an invitation, and someone cannot receive it. See, all of life is a continual, perpetual invitation to turn from wherever you're at and come to Jesus, even our sin. When we're aware of our sin, it's an invitation to come to the great God of the Bible. His name is Jesus, and let him walk with you through wherever you're going. It might be through a fire, and it might refine you. It might purify you. He might melt down your idols and make you drink it like he did in in Exodus. But it's because he loves you, he cares for you, he disciplines you, because he wants to, to purify, cleanse you, and also he wants you to have a vibrant life with him. Sin keeps us from God. Sin keeps us from enjoying God. Sin makes us feel as if we're less than. We are, we are uh, not good enough for God's love. We, 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 we can't, you know, God can't know us. We can't pray. Sin causes us shame and, and, and flight. When Adam and Eve became aware of their sin, they hid from God and they clothed themselves in hiding. God's people are not to be the type of people who clothe themselves and hide in shame. But because of Jesus' sin atoning sacrifice, when we are aware of our sin, we run like and leap like calves, jumping from their stalls to our Savior, rejoicing because he's paid it all. Every one of us have a constant perpetual reminder to turn, trust, love, run to Jesus. The invitation is yours. Confess your sin. Agree with God. Agree with your need for a Savior. But also as you're reading God's word and you hit something in the scriptures, you're like, I don't agree with that one. I don't really like that verse. Repentance looks like, God, I may disagree with you. I'm wrong. You're right. Help me to believe and know and love what you say is right for my good and not be like Adam and Eve who heard the lie of the serpent Satan, chose that, thought that was good. That didn't end well. I'm assuming if I do the same thing, it won't end well for me. I'm just going to assume that. You should. Lead me in your path of righteousness for your name's sake, Lord. Repentance. Now, the very last verse, the very last word in Malachi. I'm going to be real fast to get through it. It says this, Malachi 4, 6. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So fathers and children, this is, the, this is the last word, the last sentence, the last word. God gets the last word, and he gives it to the fathers. It's real interesting. He gives the last word of the Old Testament to the fathers. He, ta- he says that he, this is a sign, again, a part of how will we know revival is happening? How will we know salvation is coming to the land? What does he say? It's, this is, this is God, the hearts of fathers will be turned toward their children, and the hearts of their children will be turned towards their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. He's very serious about this happening. He wants the men in the church, to, to the fathers, to love their children. He wants the children in the church to, to, to honor their fathers. You're like, well, what if their, their, their fathers are not very honorable? What if, you know, the children are really rebellious? They're like the prodigal son, they've squandered everything. What if that's that? What if that happens? Great question. God's got to turn their hearts. Their hearts are hardened. They've got to be turned. Fathers' hearts can often be turned away from their children. We see that in our day and age. 
We see it in that day and age. We, our, our society and our world doesn't view children as a blessing. They see them as a burden. So it's sometimes fathers, they, they're like, that's mom's responsibility. That's someone else's responsibility. It's not my responsibility. That child's a burden. They're, they make a lot of noise. And, you know, that's, that's them. And so what, what fathers, when their hearts are hard towards their children, what do they end up doing? They, they, uh, they ignore. They ignore their children. They ignore their children. They're too busy for their children. Their children can become annoying to them. Their hearts are hard there. And they think that their children get in the way. Their children get in the way. And they, they, they see that they're so selfish. Their hearts are hard and their hearts are, are, are selfish. So they, they just, they're just hardened towards their, their kids. There's harshness. They're disapproving. They have a posture of putting down their children. They, they just, that's just how the, these fathers, when your, your hearts are hard towards your children, that's how it is. There's a spirit of bitterness. There's a spirit of disappointment. That happens. Hearts of, 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 of men, the fathers, can be hard toward their children. And what God wants to do is God wants to break those hard hearts. He wants to transform those hard hearts and take those men and take them from uh, chil- uh, men who view their children as a burden and, bl- and view them as a blessing. He wants them to, to not ignore their children but to, to, to be involved in the life of their children. They, 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 he wants to change their hearts to not see that their kids get it in the way, but, but are actually a blessing. I call it when my kids interrupt, especially when I'm studying, a divine distraction. God has sent a divine distraction. Jesus I, is never annoyed by me coming to him. When I find myself getting annoyed at my kids, it's a reminder to me that my heart ought to change towards that of God the Father's heart towards me. It's changing. When, when the, the, the harshness ceases when a man's a father's heart changes towards his children. There's no longer a posture of disapproval but of approval. It's not a put down. It's not, it's not a posture that is, it is cold but warm. Gentle, kind, encouraging, communicate, communicative. I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you, daughter. That's what happens when God changes a man's heart, a father's heart towards his children. Now, how is a child's heart to turn from their, their father? Well, they, just like their father, especially if you've had a dad that, that wasn't great towards you and you don't have a, a great relationship with your dad, you view being a father or you even view men, perhaps, as, as not a blessing but a burden. Just, it's just not. It's not for me. I don't want to have kids. You just, you maybe you have a little to no relationship with your dad now, and therefore your heart's hardened towards him. You're like, it's, it's his fault. That's how you know your heart's hard towards your dad. You're like, it's his fault. It might be. It might be. But you're responsible for your own heart. Is your heart hard towards your father? Some of you, several of you, you've had, your fathers have already passed and gone on. And you're like, man, you're dealing with the ramifications of maybe some of that relationship, and you struggle. Maybe you struggle to honor your father. That's another way your heart is hard. He's, he's, you just, you can't, see when a, when a man's, a, 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 when you're a child, what disobedience, what's a dishonoring your father looks like is just disobedience. But as an adult, whether you're male or female, if you dishonor your father, what that looks like is, I can't say anything nice about the guy. So you know your heart's hard towards your dad. You can't say anything nice about him. Or maybe there's anger, there's bitterness, there's resentment, just like he might have had towards you. 
where there's just a spirit of disappointment. Oftentimes it's, it's, it's disappointed in, I'm disappointed in myself or I'm disappointed in my father. You just, many of you, you're wrestling, you're struggling with this. And so what, what happens when God brings revival is not just that father's hearts are changed towards their children and they view their, their actual children as a blessing, not a burden, and they, they actually start wanting to become fathers, but also children's hearts are turned. Tar- the children's hearts are turned. They start saying, you know what? My dad is, he, 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 there's grace for him. There's grace for him. I can honor him. What happens when a, a child's heart is turned back towards their, their father? And some of you are like, I'm not a child anymore. You're adult children to your more aged adult father. That's what I'm saying. See, sometimes I have guys write what I call like an, a father letter, an honor letter to their father. What, write out. You don't even have to send it to him. Can you write out what you honor? What you, what, what, can you say positive things about your dad? Dad, I honor you in X, Y, Z way. To the degree that you're not able to do that, you should then confess that to God. God, I cannot honor my dad. I'm struggling with bitterness. I'm struggling with resentment. I'm struggling with pain. I'm struggling with trauma. I'm just struggling. I just struggle to, to, to love and honor my dad. Would you turn my heart back? Some of you, man, that's your next step today. And then that allows you, by this grace and power of God, maybe to forgive your father. So when you start seeing a, a generation of men and women forgiving their fathers, especially through father wounds, you start seeing revival. It's a sign of revival breaking out. And if possible, relationship is restored. Reconciliation if needed. And another way that uh, children's hearts turning back towards their father can look is like, man, just thankfulness. Because God is a father and we are his children. And he loves us. And he wants us to love fatherhood and he understands sin has distorted it. He wants us to love families and he understands sin, you know, messed up the first family and it's messed up every family since. See, why do you, this, is, why, this is very interesting that this is a part of the last word that God gives his people before 400 years of silence and before the dawn of the first coming of Christ. He, why would this be in preparation for Jesus coming? Here's why. Because fathers matter. As the patriarchs of Israel went, so did the people. As Abraham went, so did Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. As the patriarchs go, as the men go, go the family. As the family goes, goes the city. As the city goes, goes the nation. As the nation goes, goes the world. God is writing not just to a certain type of people out there somewhere. He's writing to to the people in the church. So as the men go, so the church goes, so the family goes, so the city goes, so the nation goes, so the world goes. And there's 400 years that are about to take place of silence. And if the men don't rise up and look at their children and say, you're a blessing. I've sinned against you. I, wanna, I, wanna, I need your forgiveness. I need to start having children maybe. I need to invest in you. I need to, to disciple you. I need to spend time with you cultivating that relationship. i got to let you know some stuff. God is coming. He's coming. It's going to be that great day. It's an awesome day. And he's going to come. And he's going to be. He, there's some people he's furiated with because they keep rejecting him. I don't want you to be that, son. I don't want you to be that, daughter. I don't want you to be, you know, kindling for the eternal fire. I want you to leap like a, a calf. So I'm going to take you to go see calves jumping. And I'm going to read this verse to you. And we're going to be like, that's going to be you. I want that to be you. 
He wants the dads to get ready to prepare the, the family, to prepare the people, to prepare the, the nation of Israel for the coming of Christ. The same is true in the church today. We need fathers and spiritual fathers to raise up a nation, with a city within a city, a church to be birthed out into the world we live in of men and women loving, worshiping, obeying Jesus. And repenting of sin when we find ourselves falling short or in rebellion. See, Jesus is coming. He's coming back. He has come one time. And when he comes again, there will be another fire. This one will not be refining. This one will be heat and joy for those who know, love, and worship Jesus. But just as Isaiah, when he came into the presence of God... And he saw God lift high and lifted up in Isaiah 6. And he began becoming, saw his glory and he began coming undone. And he realized he was a sinner. He began to confess his sin and repent. That is what we must do. Lest we be consumed by the glory of our God. So what we're going to do. We're going to respond. We're going to respond to this. We're going to ask God to prepare our hearts uh, to to, to be thinking about Jesus, thinking about his first coming, and prepare our hearts for this this Christmas season. But not just this this season now. uh, But but, but fathers, I want you to to be thinking about you and your families. How can you lead your family through the Christmas season? How can you lead your family in a way that, that your heart begins to turn? I believe revival is breaking out in our day and our age, and especially among our, our people in our church. It's like we are seeing men, their hearts turn back towards their father. We're seeing children, their hearts turn back towards their father. We're seeing men who embrace fatherhood willfully, joyfully. They know it's hard. Revival's coming. God is breaking through. And so what we're going to do is we're going to respond in worship, and we're going to do so through the taking of communion, where we get to look at the mercy and grace in Jesus on the cross, see the link that Jesus went to save us, a great reminder that if you are in Christ, that you are his, and that there's no longer, there's no condemnation, but just rejoicing and just blessing. And so if your hearts find that your heart is, is far from God, repent, come back to Jesus. I'm going to pray, and then I'll talk about communion. Lord Jesus, we love you. We want to be the type of church that is rising out of the ash heap of rebellion. The world around us is rebelling against you, God. We will ask that you would bring about revival. In the same way that we were to be prepared for your first coming, Jesus, and we weren't, we ask that uh, we, or in a different way, that we would now be prepared for your second coming. And we would be, whether it be 400 or 800 years to come before you return, Jesus, or longer, would we begin to lay the, the foundation for generation after generation after generation after generation to worship the same God as we do. Worship you, Jesus, just like the nation of Israel worshiped you, Jesus, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Would we continue in that legacy? Would we continue to, to in our wake, just leave a, a lineage of faith of men and women who know, love, and trust you? And so where our hearts need to repent, where, where we need to bring our sin to you, may we do so gladly and willfully. And where, where we've rebelled against you, Lord, would you forgive us? We come back to you. We see the invitation, and we come back. In Jesus' name. Amen.